Acts 2. And while you're turning there, I'm going to read a missionary letter from Eddie Mills, or missionary to China. Picture of people getting baptized, and then also um, just have a small group Bible study on the inside. It says, Simon, our Chinese pastor, baptized nine this past month. We have five separate church meetings here in Hayaku City, and these are from those five churches. God has blessed, and, through the, and though the government restrictions are growing, souls are still being reached with the gospel, and they are receiving Jesus as their Savior. We, we've had to move the children into smaller groups. The newest policy forbids children from church. Even if their parents are Christians, the government has enacted a new rule that children under the age of 18 cannot be required to go to church. So please pray for the children of China. This new rule has really alarmed the many churches here in China. Our eight churches here in Hainan are growing and accepting the new challenges of being Christians under the new rules of China. One of our churches has already been raided, and our Chinese pastor Simon must attend government meetings or stop preaching. These meetings have not restricted him from preaching, but emphasize that he must put the country first and obey all laws of the land. Please pray for Simon as he navigates these new rules. Cindy and I are thankful for you and your prayers. Your faithfulness is an encouragement to us and to the Chinese Christians who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. We look forward to ending this year with even more blessings. And so we'll pray with them just after reading of the word. And I wasn't aware of um, the new rules, new laws, because um, before he told me that China was actually more free than most people think it is. And, and, and depending on the area, of course, but sounds like they're starting to tighten the ropes again. But um, let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word in Acts chapter 2. Acts 2. I need to turn there. Acts 2 and verse 40. And with many other words, is speaking about Peter, he goes, And with many other words did he testify and it sort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly receive his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart." Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray, Lord, for the, your blessing upon your word, and also for um, Eddie and Cindy Mills as they minister in China. Um, we don't, I don't know what's causing them to bring greater restrictions or... Um, whatever, but we just pray, Lord, that um, the gospel would still break through, that um, people keep getting saved, baptized, added to the church, and people being discipled. But we just pray, Lord, that you give them protection, safety, security, and that that they continue to be faithful servants. And uh, we're thankful to be able to support, to um, be behind. Um, these missionaries, and just pray, Lord, for your blessing upon their family. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 
And go ahead and turn you First Thessalonians now. First Thessalonians chapter five. In Acts, it said, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. That Peter's preaching, and he preached one about salvation, um, preached to the people, but he also told the Christians to save themselves from this untoward generation. That it would be a generation. Um, the word untoward means it's twisted that is crooked, um, that is unjust, that they're harsh, that they're dishonest, and that they are perverse. And that Peter is saying to protect yourself from this generation. And by protecting yourselves, it did not mean to isolate yourselves, to go hide in caves, to have no contact with the world. No, but that we are supposed to be on the offensive not by purposefully offending people, but by preaching the gospel, which will at times offend people. But the gospel message, let the gospel be what offends, not our personality or not our typical speech. But let the gospel be what offends, which convicts, which pricks the heart, which draws people to Jesus Christ. And so, but we as a people, as a community, are to be separate from the ungodliness in the world. In 1 Thessalonians 5, we're going to see a little bit about what our community, what our church is to be um, like. In um, verse 5 of chapter 5, it says, Ye are all children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. That there's a distinction. That we as Christians ought to be children of the day. Children of the light. To, to, to be messengers of the gospel light. Not to be as the world is that are of the night, that are of darkness. It says, therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. That we're to be watching for the coming of the Lord. That we're to be sober. We're to be alert. We're to be of a ready mind. He goes, for they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. You know, people that um, have a thing where they're greatly addicted to alcohol... It's usually not just doing it in the daytime. They're usually hanging out at the clubs at night, getting drunk, getting wasted. That with Christians, their life is to be distinct, to be separate from that, to be children of the light, not children of darkness. It says, but let us uh, who are of the day be sober. That we're to be sober, to be sober-minded putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. That we live in a world that is very divisive. A world that is always in division. That is hating one another. Sometimes it's along racial lines. Sometimes it's along political lines. There's often different things, different classes um, of people in different countries. But we're to be children of the light, to be people, people of faith and of love and have the helmet, the hope of salvation. For God have not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. And whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. That we have that comfort, that hope that, you know what, he died for us and we will live together again for him. And it says, wherefore as a community, wherefore comfort yourselves together. That's a body. We're to comfort one another. We're to edify one another, even as also ye do. Paul's telling them in the church at Thessalonica, you're already doing this, but continue to do this to edify one another. 
And we had a great prayer meeting Wednesday night, and, uh, and one of the brothers was asking a question, and the people kind of gave him some exhortation that he was asking for, some encouragement, some scriptural principles um, to apply, um, things, particular things to pray um, regarding. But we're to edify one another. Our relationships with one another as a church body is not to be shallow. It's not to be where it's just like, hey, good to see you. And then when we leave, all right, goodbye, see you next week. But our relationships ought to be more meaningful, where there is edification, where we're sharpening one another. And we see it goes on. It says, And we beseech you, brethren, you know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and you esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. That the relationship between the church body and the pastors is to be one that's really, there is friends. I know there are some teachers, pastors, that will preach that you should have a mystique. That people should know you a little bit, but they shouldn't really ever get to know you. I heard one preacher say something like, you know, the people should always see you only in Paul's shoes. They should never see you in sandals. Well, you know, like Jesus, that's what he wore. He wore sandals. You know, if the chief shepherd, you know, it was amongst the flock, you know what, the pastors today should be amongst their flock too. Not to be as a hierarchy, not to be separate, distinct. We're to be separate in a sense, we're to be holy. But that's all of us as a church body. And we're to be amongst the flock, to be with one another. You know, sometimes the pastors also would advise, say, pastors, don't get too close with your congregation. Don't be friends. But I don't think we find that in Scripture. We see the chief shepherd saying, I call you my friends. You know, we're a body, we're assembly, we are here together. And yes, there is a structure where we see the Bible speaks of the pastors being over you in the Lord. Um, but yet not as lords over God's heritage, but it's an example. But there's a, there's a combination of, yes, there's leadership. You know, there are some that don't come to a church and they despise any type of leadership. But usually a church that has no leadership does not really get anywhere. They just crumble. They just continue to go down. And yes, someone that runs or rules the church is a dictator. As we see diatrophies, so you wouldn't receive anybody. They'll run the church into the ground as well. And so that's where we're to be biblically balanced. You know, if we just follow the scriptures, it works out wonderful. You know, in the passage it says, wives, submit to your husbands. It works out wonderfully when everybody's doing their part, when husbands are loving their wives. As Christ loved the church, it's not going to be a problem with any godly woman to follow the leadership of her husband. And so we see headship, we see leadership in the Bible, whether it's in government or whether it's in the church or whether it's in the home. But it does not mean one is inferior to the other. We see that the Bible speaks about how Jesus is subject to the Father. And yet we see that the Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost, these three are one. They are eternally coexisted. These three are God. Um, it's one God, but in three persons. But yet there was a submission. It did not make Jesus inferior to the Father, but that He followed. Just like when you go to work and you maybe submit to an employer. They're in leadership. It does not mean you have less worth or less value as a person. There's just order. And so the Bible teaches on both sides. For the pastor to be amongst his flock, to, uh, amongst the Lord's flock, and to be amongst the people... But it also speaks about the church getting to know their pastor. To get to know To get to know their family. To remember them. To pray for them. You know, Hayden just wrote me another letter. Gave me a letter. And this time she asked my note to be in cursive. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. She, I, last time I printed out a letter. 
But she, she wants this one to be in cursive, so I'll have to relearn to write. Amen. But see, you know what? She is a child. It's one to get to know her pastor. To get, get to know him. To pray for him. And in the letter, she said, you know what? This is the best church in the world. What a blessing to know I get to be a part of that church. Amen. That's a blessing, huh, Hayden? Amen. She's hiding now. We'll be a part of just this little small church in the small city of Napa Vine. Population's not even about, not even 2,000. You know, like children love church. You know, they'll love the church if we love the church. You know, if we as parents don't love the church, that's going to be reflected in our children as well. Goes on, and be at peace among yourselves. That is the church. We know we're supposed to be at peace. We're not supposed to be in division. We're not supposed to be in disunity, but to be at peace amongst ourselves. And it says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Warn them that are unruly. You know, sometimes in the Christian community, in the church context, it takes where we warn people that are being unruly. And this is being written to the church at Thessalonica. Okay, first it talked about getting to know your pastors, okay? Okay, and, and so this exhortation isn't just to the pastor. Pastor, warn them that are unruly, but it's to the church. The church is to warn those that are being unruly. Say you have someone over your home, and they're just wanting to slander one of the Sunday school teachers, or they want to say something um, about the breakfast that was cooked, that, man, I think I got E. coli or whatever. I was, yeah, if someone really did, okay, we would want to make sure they're taken care of, but everything was cooked well. But say they just want to criticize. Maybe they say, why didn't I get asked to cook? Well, I didn't ask them to cook either. They, they, they just came up to me with the idea and said, hey, you know what, could we, could we do a breakfast for during the Sunday school hour sometime? And so you volunteer a cook will probably say, yeah, all right, let's arrange the time, amen? I don't think the church is going to be like, no, nah, I don't want any more food. <laughs> that was good food this morning. It was perfect amount, too. I, it usually doesn't work out that way. Usually there's not, there could be not enough or too much, but it worked out perfect. Praise the Lord for that. But it says, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Okay, someone saying, spreading gossip about the pastor, a teacher, or a nursery worker. You know, that's where the nursery got safeguard. Make sure it doesn't become a place of just gossiping during church. Same thing with our prayer meeting. You know, we want to guard it from just being like, oh, pray for this person, man. They did this, they did that, this, this, and give a full long list. You know, it'd be enough to say, hey, you know what, pray for someone. You know what, the, the Lord's... Um, working on their life, and we need to see the Lord work more. But we're to warn them that are unruly. And sometimes that means confronting the people. Say, you know what, this isn't acceptable. Or, you know what, that doesn't sound like that would be something that pastor would do. But, you know what, let's go talk with pastor. Let's go see. You know what, let's get things restored. Um, or, you know, let's go talk to Daniel. Whoever it may be involving. Let's talk about it. Sometimes they're simply misunderstandings. Sometimes one in the church maybe didn't know they offended another person and they'd be heartbroken to find out later on, way later on, that they hurt them when they had no intention on doing so. And then at the same time as Christians, there sometimes will be that one person in church that's always divisive, always contentious. Um, I'm not aware of anyone in our church at this time, but I know in the past there's been people like that. And, and you got to be tough too. Okay? Be strong. You know, don't, don't be easily offended. Understand that you know, some are feeble-minded, as the Bible warns, or mentions here, comfort the feeble-minded, which has um, several different meanings. Sometimes it could simply mean someone that is discouraged, someone that's down. Other times it could be someone that's in, um, distraught, Oh, it should be similar to being discouraged, but it could be they're faint-hearted or they're simple-minded. That, that, that they just don't, they don't really have, maybe, lack of greater term, but that much intelligence. Yeah, you know what? Maybe, maybe they're just maybe they're a babe in Christ. 
They're new. They, they don't understand everything about the Christian faith. They know they believe on Jesus as the Son of God, that He died and He rose again. But they're a new babe in Christ. They're not going to understand all the doctrines of the Bible right away. And so we're to comfort the feeble-minded, where it means they're discouraged, or maybe there's just still a babe, babe in Christ. Support the weak. No, we're not supposed to step on, squander the weak. We're to support. We're supposed to be a help to the weak. Patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. You know, so that's out, it not just talking about in the church context, but outside as well. We're not to render evil for evil. goes on, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Okay, when the Spirit of God is working in your life, don't quench the spirit. When the Spirit is bringing conviction upon you, when there's a temptation in the way, follow the Spirit. Abstain from all appearance of evil. That is children of the light, children of the day, that there are many times we need to abstain from certain things where they may not be wicked and evil of themselves, but it could give the idea of evil. We're to abstain from the appearance of evil to guard our testimony. Go ahead and turn back to Acts. Okay, so he told them to save themselves from this untoward generation. Okay, we read we're supposed to be children of the light. And then we see the church ministry in action. Then they that gladly receive his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And so here we see first, they gladly received the Word. They were looking forward to receiving God's Word. They came, they received it, they, they, they were saved. And then after they were saved, they continued to be glad to receive God's Word. They weren't looking to go to church for a rock concert. They weren't going to church for just some kind of full drama play. And nothing wrong with, say, a Christmas drama play. But yet, God has ordained the foolishness of preaching to save them which believe. It's not entertainment. doesn't mean we can't have fun, that we can't have entertainment. We're going to have a good time at lunch. You know, we got gift exchange, we got games, we got activities, but our focus is on the preaching of the Word, the Word of God, and it's to be received gladly. Psalm 19.10 says, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. The Word of God, more precious than wealth. More precious than just trying to work overtime on Sunday when it's just optional just to get more wealth. No, we see here, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant worn, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Sweeter than honey. Kids, the Word of God is better than candy. Amen? Yeah, so see, some kids acting like they don't like candy, but if I pulled someone out, they'd be like, ooh, I want some pastor. <laughs> but the Word of God is more precious. We see Job said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. It wasn't just optional food, but necessary food. And yet the Word of God to him was more precious. That he esteemed it higher. You know, a good habit would be in. You know, we don't follow this habit routinely, but maybe to read the Word of God before eating. You know, read the Bible. You know what? Have your devotion time and then eat the meal. 
Not saying we do that, but see in the heart of Job, he esteemed the words of God higher than his own food. And so as a church body, you know, we ought to be happy, to be glad, to receive from God's word. And then we see they were baptized. That they got baptized after they became believers. Um, the next step of following Jesus Christ. To be baptized, to follow the Lord in baptism. And we see that they were added unto the church. That they were recognized as being a part of the local church here in Jerusalem. That they were now committed members of the church here in Jerusalem. And that is the church, they were to be continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Every once in a while, you'll probably hear people that say, you know, oh, we got a great church. I'm not talking about this church. Okay? But we got a great church and we don't care about doctrine. Just come on over. That's not what the New Testament church was like. Doctrine was important. Yes, there may be different preferences. There may be some things that really don't matter. You know, whether someone believes this or that. You know, whether someone is, a church is closed communion or closed communion. You know, that's a local church autonomy decision. You could kind of discuss it from scriptures different ways. That's more of a preference of a local church, one way or the other. But there are some things of doctrine, they're important. Who Jesus is. Is He the Son of God? Is He God manifest in the flesh? Is He part of the triunity of the Godhead? Or is He not? You know, baptism, you know what? Do we baptize believers or do we baptize infants? The Bible is very clear. Okay? Doctrine is important. He said we're to follow the Bible as a church to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Paul wrote to, the, um, to Timothy that the time would come when they would not endure sound doctrine. That people, they just want to go to the mega church. They just want to go to the cool church. The church where they just do fun all the time. And they do not continue in sound doctrine. But Paul exhorts Timothy and exhorts the churches to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Here, Luke writing here. And we see also that they continued in prayers. Well, we move our Wednesday night. You know, we were doing Bible studies on Wednesday night, and we'll do Bible studies again in the future on Wednesday nights. But right now, we're going for a season where we are focused simply on prayer. Come together. We just kind of pull some chairs out, kind of come in the oval. We took the back row out of the church um, just this week. Actually, not the back row. We took the front row and pulled everything forward because of the chairs in the back don't have the racks and we wanted to keep it that way. But we're just going to have an oval over there and share prayer requests, have time of prayer. And you know, at first, you know what, in the flesh, I was hesitant. I was like thinking, you know what, we have visitors come. It could be very awkward for them. And like Alan visited first time, kind of explaining what we're doing for a prayer meeting. But at first, I kind of feeling like bad. But you know, we don't need to be feeling bad for prayer. We ought not to be. We see the church, we see that they daily even would sometimes go into temple for an hour of prayer. That they would spend time in prayer. And so, you know, we simply, we read a psalm and we spend time in prayer. And we're praying some big prayers for this next year. You know, we're praying things that they don't seem possible. They don't seem likely. But we're praying that God will answer prayers. And so come Wednesday night, we'll have a prayer sheet ready for you, and um, we pray. But we as a body need to be people of prayer. You know, and you maybe go at someone's home, you know, as someone else in the church, you know, and maybe spend some time in prayer there. I'm not saying it needs to be an hour-long prayer meeting every time you go at someone's house. You know what, maybe before you leave, you know, spend a few moments in prayer, praying with one another. And we'll back up here. It says, okay, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread. Okay, the breaking of bread here in this first part may be talking about the Lord's table. 
or it may be talking about sure in the mill. Um, it, in verse 46, I believe it's pretty clear that it's simply sharing the meal. It says, And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. And so we see part of the early church was fellowship. And part of fellowship was often breaking bread together, eating a meal together, having time together. And so 1 John 1, 3 says, That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. And so here John writes to him and says that, you know what, your fellowship is to be with us. Our fellowships with one another. And that our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. And it's another passage says, our communion with the Holy Ghost, with the Holy Spirit of God. That there is a special fellowship we're to have. Again, we're not simply to come to church, just to hear a message, and then to leave. We're to develop a church of fellowship. That's why we're having a day of all-day fellowship today. Okay, we're at priest. Right now, we're fellowshipping with the Father, the Son, with the Word of God. Having the Word of God preached. Having the Word of God proclaimed. And before and afterwards, we're going to be in that store fellowshipping with one another. Spending time together. We see that in Acts, it says... Um, in verse 44, and all that believe were together. They came together. They spent time intentionally to fellowship. And we see here, it even says they had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. You know, some will argue from this passage and say, what well, communism is biblical. It's not what this is teaching. This was not a government force mandating um, some type of system. This was Christians as believers voluntarily selling some of their possessions to take care of the needy. To take care of those that have need. We see Barnabas sold his properties and gave to the church to distribute to, distribute to the saints as they had need. And then we see Ananias and Sapphira, they sold their land, and then they said to the church, we gave this all for the, for the saints. And they lied. They gave a part of it, and they kept part of it. Now, keeping part of it was not what was wrong. It would not have been wrong for Ananias and Sapphira to sell their property, and then you give a portion to the saints would not have been wrong at all. As we see, Peter says, when it was in thine own, it was in thine power. You know, you do with it what you wish. But it was they lied. They lied to the Holy Ghost. As Peter said, you did not lie to men, but you lied to the Holy Ghost that you saw this man give over here and you wanted to look like them. And so you gave, but it was with a half heart. It was, and you lied about it. There would have been nothing wrong for them to just say, hey, you know what? We sold our property and we're giving 10%. We're giving 5%. We're giving 20% to the church for need. Wouldn't have been anything wrong with that at all. But they lied about it. So it wasn't communism. It was a voluntarily sacrifice. By Christians, as we see with Barnabas, and we see the church here that they looked after one another. Romans twelve thirteen says, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Philippians two three says, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we're to consider one another. 
to look after the household of faith. And as we're able to also help out others, you know, ministering to the saved family homes, okay, they, they're not part of this flock, but we're trying to be a blessing to do good unto all men, or unto the ladies and unto their children. To look on the things of others. To not be self-focused. We see that they broke bread from house to house. That means the church was regular in their fellowship. And their fellowship was not limited to the church house. It was they invited people over to their homes. Say, hey, you know, why don't you guys come on over? You know, we'll have a meal, we'll have some fellowship. And it says they did this from house to house. And that's where it's a church, you know, as a pastor to the church, we'll encourage you, take time to invite each other over. Take time to have each other. The Bible says they ate their meat with gladness. There was a joy they shared. We see that there was a singleness of heart. That it was with simplicity that they praised God in it. The hospitality is a vital to the ministry of a Christian. But it's pretty easy to put it off thinking, we can't afford it. Money's tight. Or we don't have time to prepare. But Christian hospitality does not need to be a full-on buffet of your best cooking. It does not have to be gourmet food. It doesn't have to be a showcase of the cleanest house. It's more important to open your home to others than it is being self-conscious regarding what you're going to feed them, how orderly the house is. Hospitality can have simplicity, singleness of heart. Have someone over for popcorn. Popcorn's very cheap. Very inexpensive. If you can't afford it, okay, we'll donate some to you. Looking out for one another. Have some people over for popcorn. Chips and dip. You know, maybe even watch a football game together. Okay, seems like they got over them kneeling all the time, or at least the media is not glorying and showing it all the time. But maybe have some people over for ice cream. You know, it doesn't have to be a full-on meal. If you're able to do a full-on meal, great. Invite me over, okay? (laughs) Okay. When we open our homes, people will see we are like them. We're normal people. Not stuck up, religious persona, so to speak. So your house doesn't need to be immaculate. Your meals don't need to be gourmet. But invite one another over. Doesn't mean you have to host a whole church on one Sunday. Okay? You could try to if you have the capacity, if you have the house. Some of you maybe um, have an unbelieving spouse that, you know what, they wouldn't want other people coming in. That's fine. You know what, go somewhere else. Maybe go, go, go to a coffee shop. Have coffee together. Don't invite me for coffee, though I hate coffee. Um, I'll, I'll get tea or something else. I always still come in fellowship. But extend hospitality toward one another. We see in here they continue daily with one accord in the temple. And breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. Go ahead and turn to Hebrews 13. Not only are we to break bread house to house with one another, but we ought to extend times of that for guests. You know, it could be visitors in the church. It could be your neighbors. It could um, be people you meet. Uh, um, Hebrews 13, verse 1 says, Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds, is bound with them, and them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. 
And so here the Bible is clear that we're not to forget to entertain strangers. People we don't know or people we don't know very well. They're still strangers to us. They're still foreigners to us. Of course, use wisdom. You know what? Make sure you're safe. Your children are safe and everything. But it's appropriate. You know what? Entertain strangers. And here the Bible says, For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. That sometimes people have entertained guests and they've actually been angels unknown to us. We see that happen with Abraham and Sarah. That they were simply trying to entertain some guests and it was the angel of the Lord. We see it with Lot, that he had angels visit him and at first he just thought they were men. We see with Gideon as well that he entertained angels. And, um, and in Manoah, in Judges 13, um, in verse 6 to 20, that these people were just showing hospitality who they thought were everyday people and ended up being angels. You guys may have been wondering, I'm that angel. I'm just teasing. I'm no angel. I'm a saint, though. You know what? Don't say I'm a saint. Uh, don't say you're either a saint or... Or like sometimes Christians will say, I'm no saint. Well, if you're not a saint, that means you're not saved. Okay, a saint isn't, it's the Roman Catholic Church does where the Pope categorizes this Christian is a saint. No, in the Bible, if you're a believer in Christ, you're in Christ, you are a saint. So you are either a saint or an ain't. Okay? If you're an ain't, you can become a saint by trusting in Jesus Christ. But the atmosphere of our church. It's either going to draw people or it's going to repel people. There's really no neutral ground. We're either going to draw people or we're going to repel people. And people go to the church that is dearest to them, not necessarily the church that is nearest to them. You know, people will travel further to go to a church that's dear to them, one where they feel like the church cares for them, and hopefully they're looking for a church that's faithful to preaching the Word of God. But people will go and move on to a church if our church doesn't end up being dear to them, if we don't really show them as dear to us. And one of our chief goals should be as a congregation to be given to hospitality. Most congregations, churches, call themselves warm, friendly, welcoming churches. But how do visitors view us? That's what we need to look at. Not how we pride ourselves. Not by us putting on the church sign, the friendly church. But no, let it be when they come, they leave and go, Wow, this church is friendly. You should come with me this Sunday. This church preaches the Bible. They care for one another. Let that be the testimony of our church. In 2001, there was a house in Chicago. Well, there were many houses in Chicago, okay? But a particular house in Chicago that was run down, weeds everywhere, apparently abandoned. Neighbors would sometimes come mow the lawn. Because it was terrible. The lawn would get long. And so without going in and talking to their neighbor, they would just go and mow the yard for, for them. The house finally came up for an auction because of back taxes. And someone bought the house. They went in to clean it up. And what they found was horrifying. Instead of just finding an old run-down house, they actually found a man named Adolf um, who had apparently died of natural causes, sitting alone in his reading chair. Next to him was a newspaper. This was in the year 2001, but the newspaper was dated 1997. So four years prior. So apparently this man had been dead for four years and no one noticed. Friend, neighbors, did not notice this man was dead. They mowed the yard for him, but they did not realize he was dead. How does someone die like that unnoticed? May it never be that someone comes into this building to visit our church and no one noticed them. You know, I would rather people say, you know what, this church is overwhelming. Everybody came and greeted me. 
than for someone to walk away and say, you know what, no one even came to say hi. You know, let us suffer as being too friendly, okay? They always try to be balanced, okay? You know what? When someone comes, you know, we don't all need to be like um, bees or ants swarming to them. But take note, you see them? You know what? Take time to go visit with them. Talk with them. Ask them their name. Get to know them. May it never be that anyone comes unnoticed. Intentionally strive to be a congregation that practices genuine hospitality. Creating an atmosphere in which people feel welcome, that they belong, that even if a heavy matter is preached on. Say, I preach on some of the most controversial subjects. And maybe it affects someone in their family. Say, I preach a message about homosexuality, and they have a sibling that happens to be a homosexual. You know what? Let them come out knowing, wow, they really preached the Bible. They're faithful to what God's Word says, but they cared for people. They love people. And that when they invite their sibling, who maybe would be gay or whatever, they see like, wow, the church loved them. You know what? The church showed grace. Not that we condone the lifestyle, okay? But we're not going to be out there holding signs saying, God hates F-A-G-S, okay? No, you know what? God died for us while we were yet sinners. And Paul wrote to the church at Corinth about even people that were homosexuals and says, such were some of you, but ye are washed. You've been cleansed. You've been made righteous by Jesus Christ. That Jesus changes our life. And so let's be faithful to preaching the Word. But let truth and mercy kiss. We preach the Word We preach what God knows is best and what God knows is sin. We preach it with fervor, with passion. But let them say the preacher and the people were gracious. They were caring. They show love to one another and to guests. Let people see the love of Christ is real here. Hospitality is making people feel at ease and at home. It is relieving the tension of not knowing anybody. You know, some people may visit our church website and then be afraid to come, though, just because I don't know anybody there. And they might find out they actually do. You know, they might come and go, wow, there is someone I know. But they might come and not know anybody. You try to be the one, the first ones that they get to know. Welcome them in. Show them attention. Show consideration for one another. Let them see that our fellowship is truly with the Father and with His Son. That there's something unique about this place. That we are not simply a social club. We're not just a people that come together with some common cause. Although our cause ought to be common on teaching the gospel, on building up the saints, edifying one another, and going out into the world, declaring the gospel to the world. We have a common cause. But let it not be just a social gathering. But let there be hospitality, which includes social activity. Invite people in. Welcome them. Invite them over to your home. You know, maybe some Sunday, just plan. You know what? We're going to cook a meal or we're going to have things ready at the house. We don't know who we're going to invite yet, but we're going to invite people at church and we're going to try to see if there's a visitor we could invite over. And now sometimes a visitor will say, sure, you know what? Sure, I could do that. Often, They'll say, you know what, maybe not this week, we have other plans, but maybe next week. And then you could schedule that, and then it could be planned ahead. But try to be both intentional in scheduling hospitality and also being spontaneous. And just being quick, being ready to minister to one another, to edify each other as a body. That we see again in Acts 2. Just read it one more time and we'll close there. That we see that they gladly received His Word. And they were baptized. They were added unto them about 3,000 souls. They were added unto the church. 
And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. They continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. So we see several things are important. Preaching of the word, receiving the word, being baptized, being added to the church, and fellowship, and the doctrine. They're all important. I read a study, and I, it's pretty outdated, but they said that if a visitor does not find people they could connect with within six weeks, they'll be gone. I think the number is much lower now. I'd say two weeks. If they don't find someone they could connect with in two weeks, they won't be here. They'll be gone. They may put a pass on the first day, the first week. You know what? We, they feel like they were new here. They didn't know what to expect. But what they're, let them get to know you the first week. Okay? I guarantee you, you know what? You work on this. We work on this as a church. Me as a pastor. As always a congregation. This church could grow. Hey, we're going to be faithful to preaching the Word. But hospitality, breaking bread house to house, it's the doctrine in the Bible. And so we need to follow that doctrine. That sound doctrine. I just want to say, if you don't know Jesus is your Savior, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know that if you die today, heaven would be your home, you know what, talk with me after church. You know, as we go next door to fellowship, come on over and you know what, talk with me. We'll show you from the Bible how you can know for sure you're going to heaven because of putting your faith in Jesus. And we'll show you how we do that through the Bible. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for You being God. For You being the Savior. Help us as a church, Lord, to be a people of fellowship. Help us to fellowship with people we don't know. Help us to entertain strangers. You know, many times that's not even from people visiting in the church, but it could be our neighbors. It could... Um, be others nearby us. Help us, Lord, to entertain strangers. Help us to be a people that show hospitality. You know, one of the qualifications of pastoring and being a deacon I mean, was to be people of hospitality. Help us all as Christians to show that hospitality. In Jesus' name, amen.